The following pre-recorded program is brought to you by Wrestling with the Inner Man. Welcome to Wrestling with the Inner Man, because the first fight we face each and every day is a fight with our flesh. Do we listen to our selfish, sinful nature or to divine nature guided by the Holy Spirit? Your host, David Savage, is a product of the West Texas desert and energy industry who recently received the biggest promotion of his life, reporting directly to the top boss, God. We hope you're ready to rumble because wrestling with the inner man begins now. Good evening, WWM listeners. Today is Easter Sunday, the holiest day on the Christian calendar. And we have a very special guest with us today to share about his wrestling match to accept a miracle on faith. And I'm real excited to bring this message to y'all. Actually, Doug's going to, but his story is so special. I want to get right into it after first thanking our sponsor, ERS, Electronic Restoration Services. ERS has been so faithful in their support of wrestling with the inner man from the very beginning. And restoration business is the same one Jesus has been in for over 2,000 years. So if spring storms bring an unwanted lightning strike that fries your equipment, remember to restore it rather than replace it and save 80%. So my guest today is a retired petroleum engineer who has one of the most incredible stories I have ever heard in first person. Truly a Saul to Paul conversion, and that's the name of this episode. He's a brother of an old friend of mine in the petrochemical business and now lives in the Kansas City area. Doug Sharp, welcome to Wrestling with the Inner Man. Hey, thank you, David. You know, uh, I want to thank you for another opportunity to tell about what happened to me. Actually, uh, I, I would prefer it being called what happened for me because I was really, for, for all I could tell, I was wrestling against myself, even though it looked like I was wrestling against anyone who would approach me with, with organized religion Christianity, belief in the Bible, uh, even mentioning God, I would engage in debate. I was actually debating myself. I see that now. Had no way to see that back then. Well, yes, based upon what you told me, and I thought I was a rascal. <laughs> I think you were a real <laughs> rascal, Doug. And, a, and, I, and I think it's important for our listeners to understand how far from a genuine believing relationship in Jesus Christ you were before you had your Saul to Paul conversion. So give us a little background on your religious upbringing in the, in the Episcopal Church. Yeah, so my, uh, I had a happy childhood. I've got uh, three sisters and one brother, and, and I, I really have no complaints about, about mom and dad, wonderful, loving father. He was major dad, a Marine, so I'm a military brat. Of course, we all were. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and mom is so loving. Uh, she's, she's still alive. And, um, something, you know, we would attend the Episcopal church and I'd listen to the liturgy and I had my own book of common prayer, but we had no Bible at home. I had no Bible of my own. No scriptures were ever mentioned at home when we left the church door to go home. That was it for anything religious until the next Sunday, and we weren't constant churchgoers anyway. Really had no friends at church, no relationships with other families at church. Um, I would shake the the priest or rector's hand 
on the way out, and that was about it. I went just to a Sunday school class, and there was we were told that I think when I was maybe nine or ten years old, we were told that we would get a chess with ninety nine questions when it's all over, and they want they wanted us to get at least half of them right. And so I got, I still have the test with me. I got 99 right. Wow. That's... Bible knowledge, <laughs> Bible knowledge, but it was not anything from the heart, just facts, because I'm good at facts. I'm good at math, but, you know, great. You know, I consider myself always to be a good student. And, but, but there was something growing in me more and more cynical to organize religion because I could not answer the why, mm-hmm. the big why, was why they're suffering. Why, if we have a loving God, why, if he cares about anybody, much less me, cares about anybody, why is there war? The Vietnam War was raging at the time this was going on. And and then I was in the Boy Scouts, and God would be mentioned, but, but I didn't have uh, any relationship with God, and it just aggravated me. There was one camp out that uh, a new Boy Scout, you know, 11-year-old boy came in, and it was his first camp out, his first week in the Scouts, hadn't even been to a meeting, just joining the troop. And uh, we all camped out, and Sunday morning everybody went home, and he died on Tuesday, two days later, of Rocky Mountain spotted fever. Had a tick, a tick uh, bite. And went to his funeral, all dressed in my scout uniform, and that just made it worse because there were no answers for why. Why this happened to this this kid my age? Wow! And it and it made me more and more cynical. And so then I had an eagle eye to seek out anybody who would try to talk to me or reason with me about what I call religion. Mm. So you you have this uh, this childhood. You're basically image management, you know, churchgoer. And uh, you you graduate from high school and you join the Air Force. You know, in that job, you're assigned to NORAD out of Colorado during one of the most dangerous periods of the Cold War, where the threat of nuclear annihilation was all too real, not unlike the days we are in today with the warnings coming by Putin. But so how did gaming the world's end daily further, you know, impact your uh, belief or lack of belief in God? Sure. Yeah. Glad to answer that one. I'm thinking about my time at NORAD every day because of, uh, you know, war in Europe right now and what it must be like there. Mm-hmm. I work 12 hours a day, four days a week, uh, locked in on Greenwich Mean Time and watching the, the uh, you know, part of the team. Uh, the, the whole idea was to watch the Earth from space and from ground and put everything together and watch for nuclear launches, uh, especially. But in doing so, um, of the computer systems, one was always running simulations, and that simulation was uh, a strike from the Soviet Union and how we would respond, how the world would respond, and how the world would end. Or China strikes first and how we would respond, how the world would respond, and how the world would end. Or the U.S. does a preemptive strike for some reason, maybe against a rogue nation that was about to strike or something, and we would respond, watch the world respond, and watch the world end. 
And so we were deadened to always react the same way, put no emotion in it. And so that just furthered my cynical nature about what is it all for? What's life for anyway? It's all going to end. I'm, I'm working in a place that you know, has some nuclear safety from it. So maybe I'd be preserved longer than anybody just outside the wall. But what is it for anyway? Hmm. I don't know if I want that. And if I recall correctly, then it was about eight months from completing your four years commitment to the Air Force. You're serving there in NORAD when they brought all of you uh, at NORAD in for required swine flu vaccination. (laughs) Again, Folks, this is very timely to the debate about, you know, mandatory COVID vaccinations today. So what happened to you immediately after you were jabbed and and then go ahead with your timeline until you got out of the Air Force and began college? Sure. Uh, President Jimmy Carter ordered that essential military in November of 1979 be immediately uh, vaccinated against the H1N1 swine flu. Um, And so at, at work, suddenly... Some uh, some Air Force corpsmen showed up and they were administering shots and so lined up like everyone else. It didn't even occur to me that I could say no. Uh, didn't occur to anybody there. Uh, took took the uh, vaccine and within two days was uh, felt like I was dying. Uh, I was. You know, just urinating blood and mm. and had all kinds of crazy symptoms, just just a horrible thing. But uh, within a day or so of that, uh, I was admitted to the Fitzsimmons Army Hospital in Denver. And I was in there 10 days while they were trying to recover, uh, help me recover. Um, that then uh, in the you know, that then set a permanent destruction of my kidneys, at least 40% destruction, which was was confirmed with biopsies. And I finished my time in the service, but, but I tell you, every time I'd sniff a towel that smelled even slightly like mildew or got in a dusty place or uh, ate some strange food or something, kidneys would shut down again. And I was hospitalized many times, but I finished my time. In the Air Force, the uh, Air Force was reluctant. Military is very reluctant to let anybody out on a medical discharge because that is an immediate admission of guilt and such. I got out my regular time. And since, you know, my dad was ex-military and was now a uh, an executive at Blue Cross Blue Shield, we pursued all the medical evidence and all that. And so I was awarded a 40 percent disability from the VA and getting medical payments. But my parents were very concerned, and so was I, because course, I was told yeah. I was told that both kidneys are damaged. I had forty percent damage, and I would lose another twenty percent every year, which meant the next year forty eight percent. I had started with sixty percent function, then forty eight, and thirty eight, and thirty, and I did the math on that that I'd be within three years of only. 30% kidney function and really around 40%, which is nearly where I already was, I should be on dialysis. Uh, even in college, I was had to leave school and was admitted to a Air Force uh, hospital or an Army hospital nearby the town I was going to school in Missouri. And it was pretty grim, but you know, that made me even more cynical. 
and then. So things, you know, aren't looking so good for your kidneys, and you're a 24-year-old young man. You're entering college, older than most students, and, and are asked to be a leader as a residential hall advisor, and you actually are persecuting Christian organizations meeting in the dorm. And then you get a summer yeah. job with your roommate at Getty Oil in Oklahoma. So why don't you pick up your story uh, there? Doug? Yeah, it's crazy. So so uh, a friend of mine, Rich, went home on a weekend, and Rich came back, and I felt like I'd been betrayed because just from a weekend in college, Rich comes back from his home in Illinois, and he was different. He was talking about being born again. He was at a youth rally, and... Rich was completely different. He talked different. He acted different. He treated everybody, including me, differently. And that was really annoying me. Then we found out we both got jobs with Getty Oil Company out in Velma, Oklahoma for the summer. Uh, he was a petroleum, Rich was a petroleum engineering student. And to pay the, pay the rent, we would have to rent a place together. So we did. And there was Rich. He would pray under his breath at McDonald's in front of me. Boy, that made me angry. I would hear him at night, you know, in the trailer we rented, doing this whispery, wispy kind of voice, and I knew he was he was mentioning me to his God or whatever. And, boy, that made me angry, too. And uh, things really came to a head one day when every day we would get home and we'd have to put our oil-soaked dickies uh, in the bathtub with detergent and let them soak. And it was my day to do that chore. And he came home late and, and I was already mad at him. And he just told me it was a Friday. He was going to take a trip to Tulsa. I was glad to see him go. Hmm. But, you know, Rich would say things to me like, uh, you know, God is, God knows, and he's knocking. He would tell me which I thought was pretty cryptic and strange and all that. He would tell me, God, God, it, he, he said once, Doug, how many times has God saved your life? This, this was Rich's answer when I would say angry things to him. It was always positive, and it was kind of pointing me to some relationship God was having with me that I was rejecting. But that was the point. There was something there. David I would always argue with Christians about why God allows suffering, and then I'd start naming these little these little controversies and and inconsistencies I I thought in the Bible and just challenging. And people would say to me, "Have you read the Bible yourself?" And I could never say yes to that. So when Rich left for that weekend, I went to the Christian bookstore in Duncan, Oklahoma, and really embarrassed to walk in. I walked in quickly, grabbed the first Bible I could find near the register, put it on the counter. It was an open Bible with the words of Christ in red, New American Standard, put it on there, and right away the clerk says loudly, uh, should we put your name on it? <laughs> they embossed names on there, and boy, it's just like, it's like calling a price check in the grocery store <laughs> on something embarrassing. I got out of there. I said, no, I got out of there so fast, went home, and Saturday, opened that Bible. Started reading in Genesis and got bogged down. I was determined to read enough that I could challenge Rich directly. And when he says, have you read the Bible? Yes. Yes, I have, is what I wanted to be able to answer to any Christian. Well, 
Genesis wasn't doing me much good, so I flipped over to about the second half, and I noticed there were red letters in there. So in the, in the Gospel of John, I started reading, and I came across words in red. Words like, word, words like John 3:16 and 17, not only saying that, that, that God loves, God loved the whole world, that he sent his son, but also he sent his son not to condemn the world, that the world might be saved. There's a reason there. He would mention, uh, I, I came across, but you know, I, I read those gospels and you know, even the little stories about, about, the details written in that gospel about where where Jesus walked and who he talked to, and then concentrating on the words in red, truth. I recognized truth. I never recognized truth before, but I was recognizing truth. I just knew it was true. I knew it was right. There was a measure of faith overcoming me that had never happened before. And before I finished that book, I remember just closing my eyes and say, God, if you're real, show yourself to me. And I waited a minute. I even opened my eyes thinking I'd see some kind of vision or something. Nothing happened. Mm -hmm. I kept reading. But something was different because I was reading not out of a struggle, but I was reading out of a need that I was not, not fighting what was there for me but I was accepting something that I recognized was obviously there for me. And that's why I say, this is all what happened to me, not uh, what happened to me. Right. Ooh. And that words Rich said, like, how many times has God saved your life? Or he knocks, he knows, and he knocks. Made sense to me. So you told me uh, when, when we first uh, discussed this story that you felt regret. And not love at that point. So why why did you have that feeling? Sure, I felt so guilty. I mean, of all the things I would think how I treated people in my Christian arguing, arguing against, you know, forcing the Gideons out of my high school, um, uh, in college as the RA since I was four years, you know, I was a military veteran, four years older than the other students, breaking up Bible studies, um, I just felt so much uh, regret and guilt, and how could God even keep pursuing me, which actually added to the grace I was feeling. I mean, amidst that guilt, to still reach, to still to still see truth, made me realize how great that love must be. So then, uh, your roommate Rich, you know, he comes home oh, and, uh, and he's probably quite surprised. Uh, oh he... man, he came he came home Sunday night. He came, he opened the trailer door, and there I was, sitting there with an open Bible. I actually had candles lit, a couple candles, two or three candles uh, around the room lit and burning, and like, what is going on in here? I told him right away. I picked up the Bible, and I showed him. It's, uh, you know, I'm reading it right now. And he was uh, completely astonished. I told him pretty much what I, what I just just told you just now uh, that I just read truth. This is truth. And I told him that I, I asked God to reveal himself to me. And uh, Rich was just silent during all of that, smiling, but silent. And I said, well, I don't feel anything. I didn't see anything different. I don't really feel anything different except 
I know truth. I know this is true. And he said, great. And, and we, we talked and then that started a conversation and, and it was mostly me crying about my previous life. Right. Um, so then, uh, I want to make sure we, you know, we get to, uh, the, the key part here, but I, so you started visiting churches in Oklahoma with him and uh, you know, these are rural little churches out in Oklahoma and they have uh, these calls at the end of the service. Like would anybody like uh, us to uh, pray for healing and, and Rich was familiar, you know, with your kidney history. So, but you, you were reluctant to, uh, to go forward when they were asking for these calls for healing uh, prayer. And this was after, you know, your, your acceptance, you know, of Christ. So what, so why were you reluctant? Absolutely reluctant because I I had this kidney malady, and my big question against Christians forever was, why would God allow suffering? Now I didn't have that question. David, I was fine with it. I, I you know, the day after Rich came home, I was at, in the oil field like regular, and I essentially feel like I left this world. I know where I was. I was in a truck on a dirt road on the way to the oil field in the morning with someone else driving. But I I felt love. I felt a love from God. And so I was there, and I was now fine with how things were, even because I didn't care about the kidney thing so much. It, It didn't make me bitter. I was completely ready to accept that. In other words, my arguing against other questions about how can you accept God allows suffering, I answered in myself, I accept that there is suffering in this world. And the, the big question has been answered. My life has been saved. Wow. Right? right. So that's that then was resolved. However, like you said, I was new to this going to churches and looking at healing, and I didn't want anyone to challenge me on that. Yes, I read in the Gospels about all this healing, but that was someone else, and that was individuals, and I just didn't believe that could happen. Don't call me up. I'm not going to raise my hand. I was out the door. The end of the service, I was out the door. I waited for Rich outside. This happened any church we visited, even back in college, any church. Well, let's let's and get then, yeah, let's get to what happened in September. Yeah, then and and then and then about three weeks back at college after being saved, and I'm starting my third year of engineering school as a, as a new life in Christ. I was crossing over to a Denny's with, with Rich, and uh, I was right in the middle of a, a highway exit ramp when something I knew something I didn't know before. I didn't hear a voice, David, but I, it's like something is planted in me like it's always been there. Now I know it. I didn't know it before. Now I know it. And that is, Doug, just believe I have healed you of your kidneys. That, that, was, that was the thought, the something I knew. And it was in the past tense. I have healed you of your kidneys. And then I you... just stopped. Rich turns around. Hey, get out of the street. I, I rushed to the side. What happened? I told him. God just, just told me my kidneys are healed. And I, I told him so we about got, that. And we got Rich about said, a minute. We got about a minute. So oh, tell us about Rich the response. Said, okay. And so I wrote a letter to the VA and told them Jesus Christ healed me. And I turned off all, uh, permanently turned off any disability payments. And the kidneys have been healed. And then also medical records and such have confirmed that ever since. And, you know, now I'm 64 years old. 
haven't had a kidney kidney trouble at all. I mean, it is a miracle, folks, and I wish I wish we had more time because it's such a fantastic story, but we only have 25 minutes. We might have to get Doug back on because he's got some other things I want to get into with him, but we just want to say thank you, Doug. God bless you. This is such a powerful testimony on Easter Sunday. But we're going to have to close this show now. God bless everyone. Thanks, David. AM 1070, The Answer, Wrestling with the Inner Man. Thanks for listening to Wrestling with the Inner Man with David Savage. We believe the winners in this ring courageously follow God's word, love and protect God's woman, excel at God's work, batters God's world and his children. For more information, reach out to David at wrestlingwiththeinnerman at gmail.com. That's wrestlingwiththeinnerman at gmail.com. Tune in next time as Wrestling with the Inner Man tackles more tough topics to train up a generation of better men.